Hello folks, this is Chopping It Up with CJ. I'm your host, Chris James, and this is Turf Talk Thursdays. So what do we usually do on Turf Talk Thursdays? I go over all the upcoming NFL games that week. I go over items like keys to victory for each team, the game flow. I'll do the over-under as well as the point spread, and usually I'll do confidence scores with those as well as the outcome or prediction for the game. Now, this is episode 14 of Turf Talk Thursdays, so it's a little different since it's going into the postseason. This is the divisional round of Turf Talk Thursdays. For you all that are new to the show, you can follow me for the best football follow information. It's going to be on Twitter, and my handle is at CJFlorida9. That's at CJ, the entire state of Florida spelled out, and the number nine. So that's where you can follow me. My Twitter is an interesting place. You may like it. You may not. But at the end of the day, it's a pretty interesting place. Uh, and I'm always down for, you know, conversation, discourse, whatever it may be, just as long as it's uh, fairly intelligent and not just calling me, calling people stupid. So just want to get through that. And again, we're going to get back to this is Turf Talk Thursday. It's episode 14 of Turf Talk Thursday. And this is the divisional round of the playoffs. That's what we're going to be going over. We're down to the final eight teams, folks. But... Before we jump into that, I just want to discuss something that uh, that happened that I didn't get a chance to cover on Weekside Wednesdays, but I wanted to discuss. One of the playoff teams has a head coach. That head coach is wearing a Super Bowl ring because they won the Super Bowl last year. That head coach decided to lose his mind a little bit last week, and I use the word a little bit because I'm trying to be nice. Bruce Arians decided to strike one of his players because, as he put it, he didn't want him, the player, to do anything stupid and, you know, get involved in a play and possibly get a flag. So his solution to stopping his player from doing something stupid was to do something moronic by striking a player. Okay, good job, coach. Seems like you're right on top of stuff. And he was fined $50,000 for striking a player. Okay, that's not a a small amount of money, even though Bruce Arians makes quite a bit more than that. So a question was posed before I get into the other portion of this, which really actually gets on my nerves. But a question was posed by uh, one of the guys over here at Football Game Plan, um, Gene Clemens, about whether how would that have been seen and how would it have gone? How would the NFL have treated it? If the player would have struck Bruce Arians. We all kind of know the answer to this, right? I mean, we don't have to tiptoe around it. That that player would be pretty much suspended and pretty much pariah in the league and his career would be over. I'm not calling for Bruce Arians' career to be over. I'm calling for Bruce Arians to um, get some sort of actual suspension yeah because what the hell's wrong with you like is this is that okay what we saw on film you can say what we saw on tv the other day and i saw it live i live here in tampa florida and i'm like the first thing that went through my mind is senility said and this man has lost his mind but maybe it's just him being him I'm not a Bruce Arians fan. Anyone who's talked to me, who's dealt with me, knows that I am not a fan whatsoever. Before the season started, I've made the comment, I'm not a fan of ABBA. 
not the band, AB and BA. Didn't like Antonio Brown. Don't like Bruce Arians. Don't like how they get down. I don't like how they are. And I don't think that they're uh, not a fan. Put it like that. But here's what drove home the point. And I don't know. Maybe there is a reason that this happened. But here's what drove home the point for me, at least, with this scenario. Bruce Arians is planning to appeal the fine. That's right. Guy gets fined 50K for losing his ever-loving mind and decides to appeal it. Now, I don't know because I'm not privy to everything with the NFL, even though there are some people who will pretend like they know everything about the NFL just because they work in the industry. I know that generally what will happen with a player situation is because it's a process, they'll go through a player appeal and, you know, then they'll have the option of selecting to the league will give them the options. We won't reduce games, we'll reduce games, and then the player will see what they can do and go to some sort of arbitration, figure it out from there. I don't know if the co- there's a coaches association that works the same way, where they're forcing Bruce Arians to appeal. But here's the thing. It's because I've never seen this. See, I, I haven't seen this in modern times. This is something that used to happen, you know, years ago. I've gone through it. Other players have gone through it. I watched it happen on different levels of football. And once I got my grown man voice, it would never happen to me again. What I'm saying is, this is something that has happened in all ranks of football, but it was kind of a construct of the past. So in 2022, for Bruce Arians to think that that's still fine, might speak to Bruce Arians, maybe not needing to be on the sideline ever again. That's my opinion. Again, not a fan, so there's no skin on my back. And I'm not saying he should be fired, but... If this is the behavior that this guy wants to purport, and he still thinks that this is a fine time to do it, and he's not, he didn't come off as sorry. He's like, and so what? So I just don't have a, a, I don't take a liking to him and the way he behaves. And I think this is pathetic. I think the way he behaved is pathetic. I'm not going to call him pathetic as a person, but I will call everything involving this situation pathetic. He needs to actually look in the mirror and realize... Maybe I'm not built for this anymore. His offense damn sure isn't, and Tom Brady had to fix it because he's out there trying to throw go balls and YOLO balls like they're playing 500 in the back damn yard when that's not the way the NFL is constructed anymore. Sorry, Brucey. Maybe you're just not built for this anymore. So let's move on to the playoff picture in the divisional round of the games. And like last week, I'm going to go in order. I'm going to go from the Saturday games through the Sunday games so that there's no preferential treatment on games or anything like that. So yeah, there's two Saturday games, uh, two Sunday games, and I think they're going to be broken down where there's, I think there's two on CBS over the weekend, one on Fox, and then one on NBC. I think the Rams and Bucks are on NBC, which is kind of odd as a construct because that's usually nighttime football, but each of the networks had to get their piece of the pie. So, all right, the first game up is going to be the the Cincinnati Bengals at the Tennessee Titans. It's a 4.30 kickoff, or at least planned to be, on January 22nd um, of January 22nd. (laughs) Uh, So, the weather, and this is something I didn't include in the last show, but it's, it's a determining factor. And the reason I bring the weather into this, just to take a small tangent, is the weather and when I'm doing the show are key for some of these games. I'm doing a Thursday show. I have Thursday level information. I predicted that the Patriots would win by one point last week because I thought it was going to be zero degrees, terrible, snowy, windy weather again. And as I put into the ether 
told Bills fans as well who reached out to me and just in general, if it's completely crap weather and it's awful, I think the Bill, the Patriots win a close game. If it's decent or reasonable weather, just cold, the Bills win by 10 plus. I have multiple people who can back me on this that I said that because the Bills were clearly the better team, period. And I didn't like that they were not utilizing Josh Allen more in the run game or the run game in, at, at all. Well, we got to game time and though it was cold, it was pretty good conditions considering the, the temperature. So that's why I'm bringing the temperature into here also to kind of play into the mindset of why I'm making these predictions because these are the temperatures and the conditions as currently constructed. So to get back to this, again, Cincinnati versus Tennessee, it's supposed to be 36 degrees, mostly sunny, but cold, right? 36 degrees is never considered warm unless you're from a cold climate place. Tennessee is currently a three and a half point favorite, and the over under on this is 47 points. Now, just to kind of go through the matchup here, for those of you who know, Derrick Henry is coming back off of, a, I believe it's a Liz Frank injury, and basically a broken foot, right? I don't know all of the inner workings of the foot, but what I'll say is I know at least that portion of it, right? So he had uh, a procedure and I believe he has a metal plate in his foot now. So that's a big deal. The Titans are a different team and I know they won games without Henry, but it's not the same. They're not built the same without Henry. With Henry and AJ Brown and Julio Jones, who yes, he's no longer Julio Jones, but he's still pretty doggone good compared to his contemporaries as a number two receiver on this team that's a pretty formidable setup on offense and on defense they have one of the sneakiest good defenses in the nfl they had a lot of depth at corner but corner didn't play well at stretches this year they have an excellent safety in kevin byard they have combo caliber safeties and guys that match up including including dane crookshank who is the the tight end killer right you have athletic linebackers that flow really well and then you have pass rushers that are starting to get their sea legs coming off the edge and one of the best interior defensive linemen in Simmons Jeffrey Simmons who has controlled the run game in the line of scrimmage often in this stretch the Tennessee Titans defense is actually quietly becoming one of the top 10 defenses in the NFL so that's how they're constructed on the opposite side I'm gonna start with the defense for the Bengals they did suffer an injury on the interior of the off, uh, defensive line. So that's not going to bode well against a guy like Derrick Henry. But what they do have is the ability to get pressure with rushing four. And Trey Hendrickson is a man out there. They have pretty quality linebackers as well. And they have a, a high-level secondary, including guys like William Jackson. And also, Mike Hilton. Mike Hilton is an underrated guy who can play on the outside but slot corner is a specialty for him and he's really good at it. he's one of the best in the nfl if not the best playing at slot corner and how he handles his business and we know about the offensive side but i'm gonna delve into it really quickly now while the offensive line and by the way the titans are getting better on that offensive line they've played quality football there after looking mediocre early in the season the Bengals don't have the greatest offensive line but what they can do is run block okay they're still struggling some pass block situations, but Joe Burrow usually helps that out. And you go to Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon can run the ball. He's fully healthy. And they've done a good job managing him so that he did not have too much wear and tear on him to make this playoff run. Then we see the wide receivers. When Tyler Boyd is your number three receiver, that's usually a pretty good receiving core because he's top quality out of Pittsburgh. Then you have T. Higgins, who functions as the number one last year, but 
he's better suited to be in his current role, which is big body guy who plays on the opposite side, more of that, excuse me, more of the, you know, flanker type guy. And then you got Jamar Chase. Yo, <laughs> that's all I have to say. Defensive backs, be fearful. Again, I, I refer to this all the time. I remember people saying this, and Emory and I, I remember talking to him about this. He destroyed A.J. Terrell in the National Championship game. And we both were like, A.J. Terrell's still a first-round pick. Jamar Chase is that much better. Like, this dude's different. And then Joe Burrow, who's one of my favorite quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, so that's what Tennessee has back there. And I don't need to go into a diatribe on Joe Burrow. He's just really good at what he does. And he's coming along really well, considering he's in year two. So all that said, with the matchups, I'll say this. The weather will not affect either team because Tennessee is usually used to playing this, and so is Cincinnati. The weather is not going to be much of concern. From a matchup perspective, one of the secrets that Tennessee has as to why they play well against, let's say, Kansas City is Dan Crookshank, who would play well against a tight end. CJ Uzoma is not really a target for this team. He may score touchdowns, but he's consistently the number three, if not four or five, person in a route. Like, and I'm... I'm, I should flip that. He's usually the fifth option, fourth option, sometimes third, consider, can, depending on what the setup is. So, all those things coming into play. I'm going to go with the Bengals winning this one in a fairly close one, 27 to 24. I do think that Derrick Henry being back will give a shot in the arm to the Titans and allow them to do some things, but they can't give him 30 carries like they would need to in a normal game because I don't think he's back to being Derrick Henry. He can practice well, he can do whatever, but the guy that was running when the season started didn't have a metal plate in his foot. Conversely, the Bengals have no real issues. And yes, Derrick Henry having to run against a defensive line that's missing a starting defensive tackle is probably going to be something that's an issue. Except, I think that they're probably going to commit more to that, more to the run. And their corners are pretty good at handling wide receivers. They'll shade over to uh, A.J. Brown's side of the field and probably let uh, the one-on-one happened underneath uh, with Julio Jones and just kind of figure it out from there because I don't, I still don't trust Ryan Tannehill unless Derrick Henry is going full board. So yes, I have the Bengals beating the Titans 27-24. If it was a fully healthy Derrick Henry, I'd have the Titans winning a close one. If there was no Derrick Henry, I'd have the Bengals here in a blowout to be candid. The next game on the slate is going to be the 49ers at the Green Bay Packers. So the San Francisco 49ers at the Green Bay Packers with an 8-15 kickoff on Saturday, January 22nd. It's supposed to be 12 degrees or so, cloudy and breezy. There's no precipitation in the forecast for this particular game, but it's looking like it's going to be kind of a, a snow globe type game as far as like, it's just going to be one of those you'd like to be in a snow globe type game so you don't have to deal with the weathers and conditions outside. That's going to affect some of the things that are going on here with the, these two teams. Um, it, it really will. But let's give a breakdown of the rest of it. The Green Bay Packers are a six-point favorite, and the over-under is 47, much like the game earlier. You think cold weather, you think, you know, breezy, and you want to go with the team with the better running attack. And that is San Francisco. Don't get it twisted. It is. 
But here's what I have to say on this. So there's a couple of things that come into play here. So let's look at the San Francisco 49ers defense. San Francisco 49ers defense is built to actually play from ahead because they have active pass rushers. They suppress you or press up on you and then bail back on the back end. And they usually try to force turnovers and they have an athletic linebacker in the middle in Fred Warner. The problem is Joey Bosa has a concussion. He may come back. It's probably likely to pass concussion protocol, but I'm not going to call that because as Devonia Bell says on podcast or whatever, concussions are non-linear injuries. It's not like, oh, a week in your back. It's progressive. It's you have to pass certain steps and checkpoints. So he's likely to pass them because on average, usually people do in about a week. That does not mean that everyone does. So he's likely to be back, but he might not be back. Moving on to Fred Warner. I don't know what's going on with his injury. I don't know what the issue is, but him not being at 100% is going to be definitely an issue because he covers up a lot of inefficiencies that they could have on that linebacker level and would be effective against a guy as smart as Aaron Rodgers. And the back end is not up to snuff to be able to handle this passing attack of the Green Bay Packers, mainly because there's probably very few of any corners in the NFL who can one-on-one Devontae Adams reasonably. I don't mean shut him down. I mean reasonably one-on-one. On their offense, I mean, it's easy to go through this. Their offensive line is pretty damn good, especially run blocking, pulling, and getting into <clears throat> getting to the second level. Their running backs, quality, know how to run the ball. All of them do a good job when they get back there. Debo Samuel is, he makes people look like a joke. And George Kittle is the most complete tight end in the game. But then there's Jimmy Garoppolo. And a fair point was made. Maybe the injury assisted with the thumb, assisted in him overthrowing a ball. Uh, I think it was out to uh, Ayuk, but Anthony Brown picked it off. I don't trust him even when he's fully healthy, so him being damaged could be an issue. You may see some plays with Trey Lance just to loosen up Green Bay's uh, defense a little bit uh, in this game. They didn't really need it against the the Dallas Cowboys. As far as the Green Bay Packers, that defense is coming in the form. I mean, it's starting to do the job. It looks good. I mean, they've had a week off, so you don't know how teams will respond to stuff like this. And then on the other side, the offense, they're probably going to run the ball more with A.J. Dillon than with Aaron Jones. They'll do a lot of checkdowns, swings to Aaron Jones, get him involved in the passing game, try to cross up that San Francisco 49ers secondary because they have the opportunity to do so. And Devontae Adams will eat in this game. If you got Daily Fantasy going on this, he's a must start, in my opinion. All of that being said, all of those things coming with the matchup, Knowing that the 49ers will probably not be able to stop Devontae Adams. And understanding that I don't trust Jimmy Garoppolo. This is a game where the 49ers should honestly win. But I'm going to take the Packers, not able to cover, but in a close one also, 24-20 to 20 over the 49ers. Going to move on to the Sunday games here. January 23rd, a 3 p.m. kickoff. Kind of an oddity to me that's usually a... Uh, championship weekend kickoff scenario but it is what it is here Um, it's the Los Angeles Rams traveling here to beautiful Tampa Florida to play the Buccaneers now the conditions in this game they ended up being pretty damn good considering what they were supposed to be last week apparently if you've never been to Tampa Tampa is one of the most uh, volatile weather change cities ever there'll be a hurricane one second and all of a sudden it's sunny out and everyone's at the beach literally in the same day um It's supposed to be 60 degrees, cloudy with a little bit of sun peeking out. 
which with Tom Brady's uh, luck, it'll probably be 75, sunny, and, and positive. Uh, the, over, uh, the point spread on this game is Tampa with a three-point favorite. The over-under is 48.5. Now, quick overview on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on the offensive side. They were likely to get back uh, either Leonard Fournette or Ronald Jones this week. Uh, so that could help with the run game uh, that they're going to need to utilize. On the exterior, they're still having some injuries, uh, that uh, some issues there. Obviously, Chris Godwin's not coming back. Um, Mike Evans is the only guy that really is a dependable weapon at this point. I know that Tyler Johnson's been there for a little bit. And Scotty Miller is supposed to be a guy who gets some things done. But Cyril Grayson played quite a bit over the last few weeks. And he's been an impact player, but he's not used to this. Tight ends. So, Cameron Bray still be Cameron Bray. Rob Gronkowski was not the Gronk that you expected, but hey, I mean, he's always a threat, right? And then they have Tom Brady, but the issue is on the offensive line. I believe Ryan Jensen will end up playing in this game, but he's a little hampered, and I'm sure that, that <laughs> that'll affect a guy who is going to have to probably end up double teaming Aaron Donald quite a bit in this game. The dude who has the most beaten, I heard the stat earlier today, and I think Lewis Riddick said it. Aaron Donald has more double team wins than the next two highest players combined. I don't have the statistic, but what he's basically saying is if Aaron Donald has 40 double team wins, the number two and number three guys equal 39 or less. That's basically what he's saying, which is insane. Um, So Jensen being hurt is going to be a problem, but the bigger one and the guy who I don't expect to play is Tristan Wirth. Um, coming out of Iowa he was a hell of a pick and he has been a stalwart on that offensive line and an all pro in his career that's going to be a problem because even though he's not on Von Miller's side he's got to deal with Leonard Floyd what if they switch Von Miller over there no matter what's going to happen you're going to have inconsistency on the offensive line that throughout the run of the playoffs last year the Bucks were the healthiest team and that offensive line was stellar on the opposite side, the Rams. We're going to go with their offense first. Cam Maker's coming back. It's, it's a marvel that he was able to come back in six months to be able to carry the ball and get the job done. Sonny Michelle's still a guy that's out there and doing work. I don't think uh, Daryl Henderson's coming back, but at the same point in time, you know, you never know. I don't have an update on that. I just don't believe he's coming back. The receiving core. Van Jefferson stepped in really well and done a good job in his role as the number three guy. OBJ is your number two is an insane situation because Cooper Cup, who works out of the slot, is the number one guy. He is, we've seen the production. He's had a historic season, and kudos to him. Titan Tyler Higby, up and down play, but you know more up than down in general. The offensive line is playing pretty doggone well as well to handle the pass rush from Tampa Bay that is getting better and better because they're getting healthier. And then you have Matthew Stafford. I don't think Matthew Stafford's a bad quarterback. In fact, I would lean more between he's good to above average. But some people talk about him like he's great or elite. And I just don't see it. So if Matthew Stafford plays a normal game, I have the Rams winning. And I do expect this. I expect a fairly clean game. I don't expect there to be turnovers by both of these teams. In fact, I would be surprised if they combined for more than two turnovers one each and at maximum i would expect one to be candid 
to happen, and it'll probably be the deciding turnover. I think the Rams could run away with this game, to be honest. Um, the personnel combined with the injuries to the Bucks could really allow the Rams, if they played a solid game, to run away. I don't expect it to happen because this is literally out of respect for the uh, Tom Brady, first off, first and foremost, but also some of the consistency that's been brought in and the talent that they still have. So I have the Rams winning this one, but 26 to 21, again, this is out of respect for what the Bucks have been able to do more than it is this matchup. I know the three points favors the the Buccaneers in this one, but think about it like this. Dallas was also a three-point favorite last week, and they got stumped. Don't let the, the end result fool you. They were never, ever, ever winning that game. And then the last game on the slate, the one that I really want to watch, I want to have my popcorn ready, even though I don't like popcorn. I want to sit down and watch this wherever I am. Richmond, Virginia, I believe, this weekend, but let's see what's going to happen with this uh, snowstorm that's going on to, today. Uh, the Buffalo Bills are traveling to Arrowhead to face the Kansas City Chiefs at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Sunday. The conditions in this game should be 38 degrees with some sun. That's actually excellent for everyone involved. Consider this. You know what time of the year it is? It is January in Kansas City. Usually a cold place. I mean, 38 degrees is basically definitely fall for them. I was going to say spring, but it's definitely fall for them. Those are pretty solid conditions. I've never been to Kansas City, but what I'll say is I know people who live there and I know people from the region. I've been to St. Louis before. Having 38 degrees at this time of year with some sun and not expected uh, rain or snow is amazing, especially for two passing teams and should be a pretty entertaining situation. Kansas City is a two-point favorite. So for those of you all who aren't familiar with this, maybe new to the show or new to how lines work, generally in the NFL, it's believed that sports books provide three points to a team that's playing at home. It's kind of that home crowd balance out. It's not always like that, but that's like the general situation. So basically what they're saying is if they played on a neutral field, they would believe that Buffalo would win by one point. That's what this is saying. A two-point favor for Kansas City Chiefs at home. The over-under on this is 54 and a half, uh, 54 and a half, which is the highest of the weekend. The only one north of 50 points. So quick run through. We're going to start with the Buffalo Bills. And they shellacked the Patriots last week. And a lot of it, and I, I re-watched that game actually, a lot of that had to do with the Patriots just did not match up against them. I mean... Even early in the game, to be honest, that game could have been a normal game if not for a couple of things. And don't let the smooth taste fool you. While Josh Allen was great in that game, and while Josh Allen's stats and what they did were great, and I'm not taking anything away from him, if you look at the game, the first touchdown he threw, I mean, he, kudos to him, he told the truth. I was trying to throw that away. And it just so happened that Dawson Knox ended up coming and exposing himself, and I actually... It's odd because it's a bad throwaway if he was trying to throw it away. I can see why he didn't see Dawson Knox. He was behind someone. And Josh Allen threw it to the back of the end zone. So if he was trying to throw it away, usually throw it out the end zone, but it resulted in a touchdown. Later on, on the next drive, while I don't think Mac Jones particularly played well, 
it was a big drop by running back. I think it might have been Brandon Bolden. That interception in the end zone, a better placed ball makes it a 7-7 game. But instead, it was placed in a okay spot. It wasn't terrible. It was a, a decent spot if the dude's wide open. Like, it's a good spot if he's wide open, but that safety closed, and he didn't account for the safety being able to recover in the NFL. That's how I was picked. All of a sudden, it's 14-0 instead of being 7-7. So, they deserve all the credit for blowing him out, but that game looked a little weird because of some early situations that were oddities more than anything. More luck towards the Bills. But to the Bills roster, on defense, they're built really well. They've tried to build themselves up to play against a team like Kansas City, so they have excellent safeties. Uh, they did have an all-pro caliber cornerback, but the cornerbacks have actually played decent football. They just don't have the ability to do lock-up situations one-on-one anymore like they would with the trade of Davius White, but the safeties cover up a lot of issues there. They have athletic linebackers, including Jermaine Edmonds. That front five, basically, is what it is that can convert to front three, front four. Uh, has a lot of lengthy and talented players on it. Guys like Greg Rasul, Boogie uh, Basham, um, who else? Uh, AJ Epinesa. So there's a lot of guys that play kind of uh, across the board positions, uh, kicking out even uh, to the wide nine. They can come inside some of them and play uh, at five technique. So they have a lot of versatile players on that defensive line. On the offense, it's a, I mean, this is a quick one. Josh Allen has played like a beast. He's played himself into kind of the Cam Newton type conversation um, with what he's been doing. And kudos to him. The running backs. Devin Singletary is becoming their go-to back. Zach Moss didn't even get carries last week. It was Devin Singletary's show. I think he had one carry Zach Moss did last week. The wide receivers. We know what Stephon Diggs is. Stephon Diggs was one of the guys that I thought was one of the most underrated wide receivers in the NFL until he finally got his due and got away from Kirk Cousins. You got Emmanuel Sanders, who is an excellent veteran receiver, meaning you can't expect Emmanuel Sanders to take over a game, but if you need a dependable guy to catch the ball on a third down, a guy who can run as the number two or three, depending on the set, he's going to do it because he's been in the league for an extended period of time. Um, And then they have good slot play as well. And Dawson Knox is, is becoming a pretty solid receiving tight end. Uh, he's not a good tight end as far as a blocker, but again, in that particular offense, the way it's schemed, not set up for him to be that. On the opposite side, the Kansas City Chiefs on their defense side of the ball. The Melvin Ingram trade did help because it got to shift Chris Jones back to his natural position, playing more of that three um, technique. And, you know, I don't understand what they were thinking when they made that move to move him outside. I, I, maybe they played Madden and when they shifted him to defensive end his his rating went up i have no clue but it made no sense uh to move him from his natural position but that portion of the defense is playing well you're starting to get better play from guys like will gay and willie gay and uh nick bolton the secondary is starting to play really well as well um Sorensen is being used less and less and only in certain situations he was actually the reason that that game kind of swung out of hand in the first matchup in kansas city when the bills won because I have no clue what he was doing in coverage, but he didn't have a clue either. And then we know their offense. That offense is the best offense in the NFL, not from a talent standpoint, top to bottom. It is the only offense I know in the NFL that is not, you know, once or twice or three times. I can name you so many times when they flip games on their head 
under Patrick Mahomes. They scored five touchdowns in 10 minutes last week. It was kind of like, oh, Pittsburgh slapped us in the face. Well, let's just do this. So with a dude like Patrick Mahomes, a dude like Tyree Kill, and a dude like Travis Kelsey, when you have three dudes who you can legitimately say are the best force at their position, period. Like Patrick Mahomes can be called the best quarterback. Tyree Kill can be called the best threat at that plays wide receiver. Travis Kelsey can be called uh, the best tight end in the NFL, especially from a receiving standpoint. The line is playing really good football. So running backs have not need to be utilized, but if properly utilized, they can run the ball as well. This is a really good matchup. This is a, should be a really fun game. And I understand why people are picking Buffalo and the line moved down from two and a half, I believe it was when it started out, to two for Buffalo uh, for Kansas City. I don't think you're taking this into account. The first time when they played, and this is kind of like, it's not exactly related, but it's kind of tangential in the way that the first game that the Patriots played against the Bills, the conditions dictated that, and that's why the Bills ended up losing. It wasn't the matchup that dictated it. Very similarly, Kansas City did un-Kansas City-like things. Early turnovers, just dumb turnovers, bouncing off guys' hands into the Bills' hands. Um, dudes not playing, not knowing how to play any sort of defense in the secondary. Daniel Sorensen getting lost and allowing uh, Dawson Knox to get down the field on him. That game looks different if you don't have awkward Kansas City moments. And in general, Kansas City has not had the Bills number. I just think they're better. They're not more talented across the board, but I think at the positions that matter, they're better. That all being said, out of respect for what the Bills are able to do, I do have them being in this game. But I have the Chiefs, and I'm pretty confident on this one. Chiefs winning 31-27. to I do really feel in my gut there's a chance that Kansas City could win this game by double digits. And that's not shade to the Bills or anything that they've done wrong. It's just you gave an offense a chance to get back into a rhythm and gave Patrick Mahomes a defense. That's a scary thing, folks. So those are all the games. You know, I'm hoping there. I could be. I could go. I can see myself going 0 and 4 this week. To be honest, I can see the Titans winning, the 49ers getting the victory, the Bucks winning at home, and then the Bills winning. These are, if not the eight best teams in the NFL, they're definitely eight of the top ten teams in the NFL this year. They play really good football. I mean, Dallas Cowboys. They just. I, let's not get into what they did to themselves, but these are really good teams. These are well-constructed teams. There's no team that really stands out as an outlier team. I mean, people say the Bengals are the worst team left. And to be honest, I think that the only reason they're saying that is because the Bengals are the young team with the head coach that you might not trust as much. But I trust the Joe Burrow. We talk about the Titans and the Titans are a real number one seed. I don't think you know what you're talking about if you say that. You can say that they might not be the best team. Maybe Kansas City has the best odds. But Tennessee has smacked teams. Remember, they beat the Bills. They beat the Chiefs. This is what they do, right? Run with Derrick Henry. They got stronger, and the defense started playing good football. I mean, all down the line, everyone's on the Packers bandwagon, understandably. They're a really well-constructed team. The 49ers are scary because if they punch you in the mouth and you don't respond quickly enough, they can roll you. 
the Rams. The Rams have gone all in, and I love it because at least they're trying, unlike some teams that consistently pick in the top five and steal your money, fans, because they don't care about winning. Say what you will, but if you keep doing stuff wrong and keep losing over the last decade, you can't really care about winning, right? The Rams are trying to win now, and I respect that. But they can get hot and go, and I can see that happening. The Bucks, they just won the Super Bowl. They have Tom Brady. They could get hot and get rolling. The Bills. The Bills are probably the, the most talented across the board team left in the playoffs. So they can get going. And then the Chiefs are the Chiefs. Like The aura of them coming in and dominating you isn't the same anymore. Until you realize, I know Pittsburgh's not Pittsburgh anymore, but they put up 35, th- five touchdowns in 10 minutes. That's insane. Without giving up a point. Yo, so this is a good lineup uh, coming up this week for the divisional round. Enjoy the football this week, folks. And I know people complained about the games being bad last week, but honestly, they're a lot better than the games that we're going to see in about four weeks. Just keep that in mind. So if you'd like to give me a follow, Twitter's where you can find me for the best football information. It's at CJFlorida9. That's at CJ, the entire state of Florida spelled out, the number nine. Uh, I appreciate you, the people who are listening. I do get the analytics behind this and the listens that come through Spotify. So you all are appreciated. I hope you like the content. Spread the word to people who might like it. Like I said, I'll engage you on Twitter. Feel free to engage me. I like back and forth. And I also like learning some stuff. If you have a different point of view, but you also come with some information behind it. Cool. Because I actually learned. That's how I get better at this. Just don't come with, you're an idiot. You're stupid. Cool. I'll hit you with this one. You know what? You're right with a big thumbs up because I really think some uh, terrible things. But what I'm saying is, you know, I enjoy football. I enjoy talking about it. I enjoy the whole thing. So if if you want to talk about ball, I'm always up for that. So this is Chris James uh, signing off on Turf Talk Thursday for Chopping Up with CJ Podcast. Enjoy the games and I will see you next week. Take care.